Welcome to Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. It is a pleasure to be hanging out with you here today. I have had a very interesting and exciting week. I'm excited to share it with you guys. Uh, We have the uh, intros. We're going to be teasing a new segment here today. A new segment that came out of... uh, Came out of a couple interesting, interesting things that happened this week that I'll be sharing about, sharing with you about throughout the course of today's show. In the uh, first segment, I'm going to share some of my unpublished worship songs. Uh, if you haven't been around that segment before, that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do that here in our first segment. Another exciting thing that happened this week: Everett Fritz, a uh, well-published, you know, best-selling author. He wanted me to say that in the interview. And uh, I didn't get around to it. So I'll just go ahead and say it now. Uh, best-selling author Everett Fritz is going to be talking about some of the work that he is doing with discipleship. And discipleship has become a buzzword in our church. And a lot of people are talking about it. And not a lot of people are doing it. So uh, he actually is. And we're going to uh, hear from him not only what discipleship is, how to re- be discipled, how to disciple someone else. Um, but we're also going to hear some of his stories about how this is actually working, um, what I told him. He's he's a very large white man like myself, a little older than me. Uh, so I uh, kind of uh, took some of the things that he said, and I brought it back to my ghetto roots. And I said, you know, he's Discipleship by Everett Fritz. Don't just talk about it, be about it. So that's what we're going to be doing in our second segment. And then in our third segment, man, oh man, did I have a cool reflection when I was doing my Bible study the other day. It talks all about ordinary time and uh, what it means for us. So I'm excited to share that with you as well. Also, two episodes ago, I had to, for the first time ever, publicly apologize on the radio. I'm about to apologize for for the second time ever. (laughs) The first time I had to apologize is I did episode 64 of the show, and I didn't make a Nintendo 64 reference. So on episode 65, I had to start the show by apologizing. Well, this is episode 67, and I have to make another public apology. Last week was episode 66, and I did not make the Star Wars (laughs) execute order 66 joke. And I know that like that has to make me just lose all credibility with my Star Wars fans. And I just, from the bottom of my heart, I deeply apologize. And I hope that you will listen to the Jesus whenever he says that you should forgive those who have harmed you. So if I have caused any harm by not mentioning Star Wars Order 66 last episode, I deeply apologize. Moving on, I also had a very exciting week uh, when it comes to being able to speak and lead worship in that type of ministry. Earlier this week, I got to go speak and lead worship at my friend Alex Gote's church in spring. It was great to see him uh, hang out with those uh, young people over there and essentially just do kind of what we do on the radio, make a thousand fun again. We just laughed and laughed and laughed. I had some planned jokes, you know, like that. I've just given this talk multiple times and I've planned these jokes out. Uh, but boy, oh boy, they surprised me on some of them. And uh, we were just all just rolling laughing for about five minutes. And I was like, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Let's get into that. This weekend, I'm excited to be going to lead worship at Brian Lennox's church. But uh, apparently, I just go to churches of people that have been on the radio show before. Going to uh, excited to be invited back. I led worship for him in December, and I'm going back again uh, this weekend. That'll be fun. Also, 
here's here's kind of what's going to get us into some of our content for today. Uh, for the third time, I was I was just thrilled to be invited back to Jennifer Fulweiler's show on SiriusXM's The Catholic Channel. Uh, she invited me back. Let's rewind. The first time I ever went on her show, it's it all started on Twitter. She had a guest on, and uh, like the the guest that she had. His deal is that he would like write inspirational songs and sing them on Instagram to like inspire the people that followed him. And so she put out a uh, like a, a post about or a tweet about it, right? And she said, "Well, the new rule is that all of my guests have to write an original song for me when they come on the show as a joke." So I tweeted at her immediately. This is at like eleven o'clock at night that I was that I was reading this. So I tweeted right back to her and I said, hey, if you have me on your show, I'll write you a song. It's like, if that's all I have to do to get on Sirius XM radio, I'm totally game. She responded back within minutes. Sure, we'll set it up. And I was like, all right. And we'll come to find out on the first time I went on her show, the night that we were tweeting back and forth, she had had a little bit to drink. So she was, she was a, a little bit... Uh, Maybe not in her in her complete right mind. She wasn't drunk or anything, but you know, you just get a little loose whenever you have a drink or two. And so, like, I have to just thank both Jennifer and those two glasses of wine that she had that night <laughs> for getting me on the show. So we went on the show this week, and we were I wanted to share with her some of the things that I've already shared with you in our segment called Unpublished Worship Songs. This started a couple months ago on here on Forte Catholic. Uh, if you if you missed it, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm going to explain it, and you're going to get a little sneak preview on what we're talking about here today. So, unpublished worship songs comes out of me leading worship and playing music at mass, and like my job is to help people uh, connect, like the readings, connect their entire prayer experience, right? So, the readings that they're hearing, the homily that they're hearing, the prayers that they're hearing. And the songs are all supposed to be one. And I mean, for a lot of us, we all forget the homily or we forget the readings from, the, from, from Sunday. But you've all had a week where on Tuesday, you're still singing that song that they did as either like the opening or closing song. And that helps you remember what the readings were. So a lot of times, my job is very easy when it comes to picking songs, right? You know, I am the bread of life. If you read that in the scripture, it's like, you know, I am the bread of life. You will come to me, shall not hunger, right? That's, that's the whole kind of idea. But there are also some verses that have never had songs written about them because they are odd and obscure passages that either no one's ever heard or they're just so weird that nobody, like you can't sing about them in church. It would be weird, right? So I went on Jen's show and I had only done two previously. I, you know, um, we aired these a couple of months ago here on Forte Catholic, but I, I wanted to debut two new songs on Jennifer Fulwiler's show. The first one I'm going to let you listen to here in just a second. It's, a, it's kind of a tribute to how Jen and I met and also a tribute just how, like, you'll get it in a second. The style that I sing this in, it's very, like, it's a tribute to Jennifer also living in Central Texas. So without further ado, here is my new hit single, Let Beer Be For Those Who Are Perishing, from Proverbs 31, verse 6. Listen here, I want to tell you a story about one of my favorite Bible verses. It comes from that there book, Proverbs, over there in the middle of that big old book that, you know, it's where God wants to share his wisdom with us. 
So I figured I'd share my favorite one here with you guys today. Let beer be for those who are perishing and wine for those who are in anguish. Yeah. So there you go. Like Jen was convinced that it wasn't me singing because she's always heard me sing like a normal like singing church voice. Uh, she didn't believe me that it was my country voice. I had to convince her that it was. But there you go. Let beer be for those who are perishing and wine for those who are in anguish. Like you just don't hear songs about that in church, but it's in the scriptures. And I want to share the love of all the scriptures, not just the popular ones, right? These are actually the ones that I think help us make Catholicism fun again, right? So this next song, this scripture has had just, it's just, I just hold it so near and dear to my heart. It is very special to me, very special, especially to uh, some of the youth that I have worked with who like to comment on my baldness. There is a scripture in 2 Kings chapter 2 that uh, gives us some information about um, what happens when people make fun of bald people. So, so here you go. We're going we're gonna to listen to the song. Uh, called Dumb Ways to Die. And I don't know if you've ever heard this song. It's, it's, uh, it's on YouTube. Go watch it. It is hilarious. 124 million views or whatever. I took the chorus and I, and I wanted to share about another dumb way to die from the scripture. So without further ado, here you go. Enjoy. Dumb Ways to Die so many dumb ways to die Dumb ways to die So many dumb ways to die From there Elisha Went up to Bethel As he was walking up Long the And cheered at him Get out of here, Baldy That's right, they said Get out of here, you Baldy Elijah turns around down a curse upon them in the name of the Lord. Then two sheepers came out of the So there you go, kids. There's just some some advice from, you know, your friendly radio host, Taylor. If you make fun of bald people, she-bears might, might come out of the woods and maul you. So uh, just that is your Bible lesson uh, from me today. 
That's just for the kids. So it was a lot of fun being on Jennifer's show. If you want to hear that interview, it is bonus content on the podcast. You can always find the Forte Catholic podcast on fortecatholic.com slash radio or any podcasting service, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, whatever. And if you want to hear some other unpublished worship songs, you can find those on fortecatholic.com as well. And also there's a playlist on SoundCloud just for you, just for you to enjoy. So one, th- one thing kind of led to another out of this unpublished worship songs. It kind of birthed another segment. Not only was I on Jennifer's show this week and we were talking about these unpublished worship songs, but also I've been like doing some scripture study with, uh, with one of my best friends. One of the scriptures that he had, uh, well, hold on, let me, let me set this up just a little bit more. There are scriptures that are odd and obscure. We're going to use, we're, I'm going to keep writing songs about those for unpublished worship songs because people seem to be enjoying them. But some of these shorter like verses or some of these stories uh, is, that are kind of harder to put to song, I'm going to be introducing a new segment here in the next couple of weeks called This Is Not Going to Go the Way You Think. This is also partly a tribute to my Star Wars fans that I made angry by not making a reference to Order 66 on episode 66. But this is, you know, this is one of the most famous lines from Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. This is not going to go the way you think. So, obviously, the she-bear story, like, didn't go the way you thought. Most of the time, like, here's kind of the way that I thought that story would have gone. Kids are making fun of this prophet for being bald, the prophet probably would go up to them and tell them about how their actions, how their actions are hurtful and how they are supposed to be good little Jewish boys and be nice to everybody to glorify God and uh, grow community. Right. Like that, that's kind of something. And then he'd go on his merry way and then like they'd, you know, all grow up to be rabbis or something like that's kind of the story that you would expect to, for it to end that way. But as you heard in the song, that's not what happened. The prophet was very frustrated, called down a curse upon them in the name of the Lord, and she bears came and mauled 42 of them. Like that did not go the way that you thought it was going to go, unless obviously you've heard that story before. So my best friend was doing a Bible study. And here's the, here's the verse that he highlighted. It said, the eyes of the Lord roam over the whole earth, to encourage those who are devoted to him wholeheartedly. That sounds really nice, right? But that's only the first half of Second Chronicles 16.9. It continues, You have acted foolishly in this matter, for from now on you will have wars. It's like, what? <laughs> Why are we talking about war? You were like, the Lord's looking at everybody, encouraging those devoted to him. Also, you messed up. So war is going to happen. It's like, what are you even talking about, dude? The, and then so like we were kind of joking about this being a segment. And then I went to Mass on Sunday. And I was reminded of one of my favorite chapters in the Bible that most people haven't heard. The first, the first reading this week was from Jonah chapter 3. You've all heard, this is, kinda where, this is where everybody thinks the Jonah story ends. You've heard the story, God calls Jonah, this is somewhere around chapter one, right? He, <clears throat> God calls Jonah 
says, hey, go save Nineveh. And Jonah's like, no, I don't like Nineveh. So he runs away, gets swallowed by a fish or a whale or whatever you want, whatever you want it to be. <laughs> People get in arguments about it. I'm like, I don't care. And then, you know, like he finally goes back. He gets spit up out of the whale fish. He gets spit up. He goes and he speaks and he saves everybody. So like this is Jonah chapter three. You know, he set out for the great city of Nineveh, announced to it the message that I will tell you. And then, so Jonas tells them, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be destroyed unless you repent. And then, <clears throat> the end of chapter three, when God saw by their actions how they turned away from, from their evil way, he repented and he had him threatened for, uh, he repented of the evil that he had threatened to do to them. In Jonah chapter four, <laughs> Jonah has just saved an entire city for the Lord. And Jonah became very angry. He sat next to a bush. The bush then withered. And then Jonah sounded like a teenage girl. who's like, why did you cut, crush my bush? And then the, the last line it did not go the way anyone thought. God says, and should I not be concerned over the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot know their right hand from their left, not to mention all the animals. So that's how, that's how the, like, it's a question mark. And then the, and then the whole book of Jonah is over. All God said was, can I not do what I want? Not to mention all the people and all the cows, right? Such an odd way for that to end. So we will be right back uh, for our next segment with Everett Fritz right after this. Hey, everybody, it's Taylor. I hope you enjoyed that first segment. We will be right back with the show. But before we do, I wanted to just tell you that I'm currently booking to speak and or lead worship at events all over the country at parishes or conferences or whatever you have. So if you have an event coming up that you'd like me to come and share my just many talents with. I would love to come. Hit me up at ForteCatholic.com slash booking. You can see all the events that I'm doing this year. See how I can help you guys, and we'll go from there. Thanks a lot, and I'll talk to you soon. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. I am joined in studio today rare these days to be joined by somebody in studio everybody's too busy for me and like wants to call in and stuff but uh there's somebody today that is just just stuck with me he goes by the name he goes by the name of everett fritz we're not convinced if that's his real name or if he uh you know d- served some hard time and is trying to uh you know change his life now but Everett Fritz is the only name he's given me, so that's the name that we are going to go with. He is in town this week, or just just today and tomorrow, um, with our staff over to Blaze Ministries, teaching us about one of his favorite things. Everett, how, you, how are you doing this evening, sir? Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I'm doing well. Good. I'm glad you're doing well. We just, I just, you live up in Colorado or like something, not Texas, right? I'm in here. From, I'm in Texas from Denver, Colorado today. So. Denver, Colorado. So the tacos aren't as good. Up and no, Denver. we just had tacos for dinner, and they were amazing. Uh, the, like nothing I've ever had before. They're really good. It's it's become a thing on the show. Like Mad Taco does not sponsor the show, but I talk about them every other week because it's right by our studio, and I go there all the time. 
that I talk about them over and over again, just hoping that one day they'll sponsor me. And they, they never have. I'll, I don't even want money. I just want a free taco a month or something. <laughs> it would be fantastic. But you were in town this week to talk to our staff about discipleship. Yes. And one of the things in the church is that discipleship has become this buzzword. Like, if you're not doing forming of intentional disciples, like you're doing everything, everything wrong. And then everybody's like, well, what actually is discipleship? I've, I've seen tons of people talk about it. But it's very rare to see people actually follow through and do this discipleship. So the first question that I want to ask you that uh, that I want you to share with me and with the people listening today, what makes a disciple, primarily because I want to know if I am one, <laughs> what, what is a practicing disciple and how can I be one? I would say a disciple is three things. Number one, they're a follower, uh, somebody who is a disciple of – somebody who does yoga is a disciple of yoga – Somebody who was a disciple of John the Baptist is a disciple of John the Baptist. Uh, somebody who follows uh, Jesus Christ is a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, that that is the, the definition of disciple is to be a follower. Uh, but number two, you're going to notice that a disciple practices disciplines in their life. So uh, a disciple has uh, disiri as the root word. It's the same root word as discipline in disciple. It means to learn, uh, which means that I'm blanking here on radio live. We're not live, but that's all right. You can edit me later when I <laughs> you're like that interview was terrible. Um, no, a no disi- one will ever hear yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> a disciple is uh, somebody who practices uh, daily disciplines in their life. It's a disciple of Jesus Christ. So you would notice that they have the practice of scripture study and that discipline in their life or the practice of Shared fellowship with other Christians. That's a, a discipline that somebody practices. And number three, I'd say a disciple of Jesus Christ uh, is somebody who follows a rabbi. And this is the distinction that I would make. And one of the reasons why we don't get discipleship right in our church is because we fail to understand that um, discipleship is the process by which somebody follows a rabbi and the ex- lived example of another person, um, which requires that, that um, the process is small and it's intentional, that there's an intentional relationship between uh, a rabbi and their student. So they, these disciples are learning from their rabbi. And just in the, like you came last month to talk to us about discipleship and you came and talked to us all about it today. So it's fresh in my head. One of the things that I find most interesting about some of the things that you shared today was this idea of, of mentorship, this idea of apprenticeship, right? So how is being a disciple of Christ and how is showing someone how to be a disciple similar to to an apprenticeship? Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say most church ministry nowadays operates on what I call the Sermon on the Mount mentality. So uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a, um, he has an important message to share. And just like we have an important message to share in the gospel. Um, so our mindset tends to be that of the Sermon on the Mount, that if I have an important message to share and I need to get it out to a lot of people, I run a program for a lot of people or I give a talk to a lot of people. And uh, if you notice and you read the Sermon on the Mount, um, it, it was a very important message that Jesus gave and he gave it to a, a, a large number of people. But um, nowhere in the Gospel of Matthew, which is where the Sermon on the Mount is, does it say that those who heard the Sermon on the Mount became lifelong followers of him. In fact, the only reason why we know what is said in the Sermon on the Mount is because Matthew wrote it down, and Matthew was one of the twelve. Now, the twelve had the distinction of living with Jesus Christ. They actually answered the call uh, to 
um, come and follow him, which was uh, an actual, um, the relationship between a rabbi and his disciples was that of somebody who, um, after a Hebrew um, young man had gone all the way through school, uh, they uh, rabbis would come and evaluate the class, and they would pick the best of the best of the best, and they would say um, to all of the Hebrew people, they Hebrew young men, they would say either go and learn the trade of your father, or they would say come and follow me. And if you were extended the invitation to come and follow the rabbi, uh, you got the opportunity of a lifetime to go live with him and to learn by his very example. And that's the distinction: is that there were a small number selected. And they had an intentional relationship with the rabbi to learn by imitation, um, to actually learn the uh, by the ex- lived example on a day-in, day-out basis, how the rabbi brushed his teeth, how he dealt with difficult situations, um, how he instructed people and the different methods by which he instructed, the different stories that he would tell and picking up on his parables and different things. Um, I mean, this is huge. The Gospels we heard, uh, oh, I was going to say just this past Sunday, but by the time this airs, it'll be well past then. We'll be in... And Lent by then. Anyway, um, the disciples. The word is, is eternal. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it, 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 it's a two edged sword. It'll cut you in February just like it will in January. Yeah. So the, the gospels that are being told right now are the invitation that Jesus extends to Andrew and James and John and Peter uh, in the boats. And he says to them, and just this past Sunday, he said, Come and follow me. And it says that he they drop everything. In fact, James and John leave their father in the boat and they, they come and follow Christ. And I, uh, for a long time wondered, I'm like, why did they leave everything behind? Like literally drop everything right then and there. And it's because they were learning the trade of their father when they were discovered uh, by Christ. So their opportunity had come and gone. And Jesus' words, come and follow me, didn't just mean, hey, come and follow me right now. Um, it was actually an extension of an invitation, uh, like a second chance at a change of life. Uh, they had the opportunity of a lifetime to go live with a rabbi and that's the invitation that Christ was extending. So um, why wouldn't you, if you had the opportunity to change your entire course of life and create a better life for yourself, take advantage of it right then and there, which is what the apostles did. Bye, Dad. <laughs> yeah, bye. Yeah, come and follow me. I never wanted to be a fisherman. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, Pops. Yep. I'm going to go follow this guy I just met. <laughs> but that's in our church today, discipleship. Uh, the reason why we get the – you mentioned it's become a buzzword, and it is. It's a buzzword in our church right now. It drives me crazy when I see somebody selling a program, like the latest, greatest Catholic program in the church today, and they say, you know, the best program for discipleship. It's like, no, a discipleship is not a program. Like, it, it is a – intentional relationship between a rabbi and his students. And uh, and it is small by nature, and it requires an apprenticeship in, in Christian living. So it's it's not a program that you can walk through and say, oh, look, I'm going through a discipleship program. Like such, You can create resources for discipleship, um, but discipleship is not a program. It's a process. It's an apprenticeship. And that's one of the things that we get wrong in Christianity today is uh, we've really lost a sense of mentoring in Christianity today, of of the older mentoring the younger um, on what the, the day-in, day-out lived practices, what it looks like to animate um, Christianity in the day-in, day-out life of, of a person following Christ. Yeah, it's interesting because like, as you were saying, like in the time of Christ, no matter what, they were going to be mentored. Yep. They were going to be walked with. They were going to be either going with the rabbi and like, this is how you be a rabbi. Just watch me follow me, and then do what I do at some point. It's the same thing with like a carpenter, right? Watch me, follow me, and then at some point you'll be doing what I'm doing. And I, I feel like it, both just in our 
normal lives and then also within the church, we don't have a lot of that. It's like, here's a lot of information. Here's a great motivational speech on how to, on how to pray. But then like, you know, somebody can go home. It's like, well, I don't know how to pray. Mm-hmm. The person that gave the talk knows how to pray, but I'm not sure how to, how to do this. And it's through these connections that you're talking about and this like actually walking with people, um, this true discipleship that's actually changing lives. And I know that you've experienced this. You've shared some of this with me off the air and how you're seeing how you've been doing this discipleship model and, and it's, and it's changing lives. So why don't you share a little bit about uh, what, what does discipleship actually look like on the ground? How are you doing it? Yeah. um, I started, I I had built big youth ministries in parishes for um, the better part of the last decade. And uh, at some point, I discovered that um, there were roughly 10 to 15% of the young people that were coming through my program were actually becoming lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. So I could have 100 teens at a youth group on Sunday, and I could be confident I was reaching 10 to 15 of them in terms of them becoming lifelong disciples. But they all wanted to be there. They were all happy to be there. They were all having a good time. Um, But when I actually evaluated four years later how many of them became lifelong disciples, it was like 10 to 15 so then I started questioning, well, what is it? What's the difference maker? And I realized that those 10 or 15 were um, the teens that I spent the most time with, the teens that I mentored in a smaller environment. I gave, we did Bible study, we did shared prayer, we did shared fellowship, um, we had a shared mission. Uh, I worked with them. Uh, they were getting the majority of my ministry time. And, uh, and it was happening in like a leadership team environment as I called it leadership team. And I realized, oh, oh, I'm actually discipling these young people. So I started to experiment with, uh, running more and more small discipleship groups rather than focusing in on a big, huge, large youth group. So uh, we started to, at first I just, um, in my youth ministry started four discipleship groups of, of like five to eight teens in a group with an adult mentor who would love them and minister to them the same way. And, and what I found is those teens stopped coming to youth group. Um, and uh, when I asked them, like, why don't, why don't I see you at youth group anymore? Like, my numbers are dropping off because I've got like 20 of my best kids no longer coming to the youth ministry. And several of them said, they're like, well, I have my small group. I'm like, you know, you can come to both. Like, you don't have to. <laughs> You don't have to choose one over the other. They're like, yeah, but I really like my small group. And what they were saying to me basically was my needs are being met um, so much more so in the small discipleship group that they no longer felt like they needed the the larger, almost superficial nature of the youth group, of the program that I was putting together on a weekly basis. So I went all in and, and invested more and more time into putting teens in small groups. And we started to pull back on the youth group from every week to every other week and then to once a month. Um, and it became more of a supplement in terms of a place where people could come for shared prayer or shared fellowship or different things of that nature. Um, but the majority of the ministry now that I do is, is exclusively in small groups where in and rather than having one youth group a week, we might have 10 small groups that meet during a week. And I'm mentoring the mentors of those small groups. So, um, and it's thus far been very, very well received by the young people who've been a part of the ministry. Yeah. So what are the benefits that you're seeing from, from doing this? If other people are, are listening today and they want to do this or they're intrigued by it, why, why do this? Why do it this way? Uh, one of the benefits that I'm seeing is that uh, high schoolers are remaining involved in the ministry all the way through 
um, high school. In fact, uh, most of the youth ministers that I talk to, they really see a drop off in junior, senior year of high school from in terms of participation. And it makes sense because the, there's only so much you can cover in one session a week with teenagers. You can either gear it towards that new freshman or you can gear it towards that experienced senior. And most right. of it is geared towards the new freshman, um, which means that the seniors basically saying, I've heard it all before. So um, you're crafting the ministry more towards the individual needs of the young people in your group. And you can go deeper and deeper um, with the young people that are involved in the group, the longer they stay in it. So I'm finding that I retain more and more of my upperclassmen uh, in the ministry. Um, and the second thing that I'm seeing is that uh, we, I mean, for example, I just did a semester on uh, Marian spirituality with the boys that I mentor and they loved it. I mean, and this is the type of content that I would never cover in a youth group setting because it would just be too difficult to get into that kind of a depth um, knowing that I've got the spectrum of of people in terms of where they're at in their own uh, journey in faith. So um, we dove into Marian spirituality, and now all my guys are praying the rosary on a regular basis. So wow. you've got high school, high school seniors now that are like picking up the rosaries and praying it on their own. <laughs> That's not is, rare at all. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> not at all. Um, actually, they just had a, a, this past summer, several of them, um, they were doing a caravan of two cars coming back from a camping trip and the car in front of them, uh, two boys basically fell asleep at the wheel and they, they tumbled their car and oh gosh. Uh, nearly died. And I believe that the guys behind him, well, the guys pulled them guys behind him, which were, there were three in the, the vehicle following and they ended up pulling them from the car. But right before the car accident happened, they were praying the rosary on their own which is one of the reasons why they didn't fall asleep at the wheels because they were praying the rosary because um, these guys all stayed up late, which is right. stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, we have a big road trip tomorrow. Let's let's all stay up all night so that, you know, anyway, high schoolers being high schoolers. But um, I, I believe the rosary saved them uh, from, uh, you know, the impending disaster that could have happened anyway. I mean, the guys praying the rosary on their own and intercession. So, yeah, that's, yeah. Tr- that's tremendous. That's yeah. tremendous. So to kind of close our time together, if there's some, because I'm sure there are people across the spectrum listening today that are either looking to, like, this is intriguing, I need to be discipled because I've never had that before. Like, mm-hmm. I know that there, I didn't have a mentor until recently, you know, the last few years. And there's also people who are hearing this and it's like, I, I want to mentor somebody. So either, speaking to either person, what does discipleship actually look like and how can you find it? Uh the best discipleship that I find is uh, in a coffee shop on a weekly basis, whether you're looking for a mentor or you need a mentor. I mean, this is what, uh, in some respects, spiritual direction has become is just people actively seeing. There's, a, I think, a growing need, at least in my community, of uh, spiritual directors because there's so many people speaking spiritual direction. But I think one of the reasons why is because they're just seeking discipleship. They're looking to be mentored on a, on a regular basis. Hey, dig into my life and help me grow and take the next step in my faith. Um so you got to find somebody who's more experienced than you that can be a rabbi and take you to the next step and ask them and get together for coffee with them. Uh, it's the best ministry that I do is in coffee shops and just get into <laughs> getting together with people in coffee shops. So I told a story this morning. I know we're running out of time, but I told a story this morning of Archbishop Chaput um, getting together on a weekly basis with a friend of mine and leading him from Taoism into uh the Catholic faith. And he did it by having a weekly lunch with this young man. Um, and now he's one of the most faithful Catholics that I know. So, yeah, that, that was an amazing story. We were all kind of blown away whenever we heard it. So uh, we're, we're out of time today, but I know that you have a book coming out. 
about this and how it looks specifically in youth ministry. But uh, so, what's the name of the book? Where can people find it? And then, how else can we? Then pe- can people connect with you? Yeah, it's on Amazon, and it's uh, through Sophia Institute Press. It's called "The Art of Forming Young Disciples: um, Why Catholic Youth Ministries Are Failing and What We Can Do About It." Uh, it's a long title, but uh, "The Art of Forming Young Disciples," and it's available on Amazon and Sophia Institute Press uh, and. Uh, you could also probably find it on my website with standandrewmissionaries.org. Sweet deal. We'll have to have you back on talking more, a little bit more about it. But thanks for coming in today. It's been a blast to actually have somebody in studio. And I wouldn't want anybody more than you. So thanks a lot. I appreciate thanks, it. Taylor. All right, guys. We'll be right back with our final segment for the day. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. This is Taylor, your host. We're going to close today's show by talking about ordinary time. I went to ask a couple weeks ago. It's like the the, you know, the first Sunday in ordinary time. And the priest started his homily and he said, there's a Father Jared Cook here at St. Joseph's in Bryan. Great homilist. He's going to come on the show at some point. I keep trying to schedule it with him. And he's like, I'm a very busy man. He's he's become a, a friend of mine, but uh, so I can I I guess I can poke fun at him a little bit. It's kind of it's actually kind of nice. It's the first time in my life that I've ever been like good friends with a priest. You know, I've been friendly with dozens, but a friend, you know, it's a friend when you can make fun of each other and still be good friends, and that's what Father Jared is to me. But is it, that's beside the point. He's a great homilist. So the first homily of ordinary time. He stands up at the pulpit and he says, it looks a lot different here this week, doesn't it? The Christmas trees were gone. St. Joseph had these beautiful Christmas trees um, right next to the altar during the Christmas season. And the nativity set is gone. And it just kind of looks normal, you know? And he said, well, things are back to ordinary, right? What's interesting, though, is that Christmas actually never ends. We are, as Christians, always... A Christmas people, recognizing the the birth of Jesus in our lives in a new way every morning, right? He said, we're also an Easter people, a joyful people because Jesus has risen from the grave. We're also always an Advent people. We're always looking forward and waiting for Jesus to return. We are also a Lenten people, recognizing our deficiencies and our sin and asking God to forgive us, and uh, having dedicated time of prayer and penance and almsgiving. We're always all these things. And then I said, are you about to say what I think you're going to say? And he did. He said, you're all just ordinary people. (laughs) We're all sort of ordinary people. I said, are you serious? You just called a group of people ordinary? (laughs) That's rude. (laughs) From the pulpit. (laughs) But then I had a great thought. I was like, I know a song about this. John Legend sings, we're just ordinary people. We don't know which way to go. (laughs) And I'm sitting here like he's giving his homily and I'm laughing about it. I send him a video. I text him a video after mass, you know, with like some of my thoughts. And I say, I tell him, hey, I'm totally stealing your content and doing it as a a segment on the radio show. I'm going to continue stealing his content until he comes on the radio show and just shares his own content with you. He was talking about that we are always all of these things, right? Like ordinary time, we, we focus on whatever the heck we focus on, right? Lent, we focus on all the things that I listed. 
we're always focusing on those things, but those seasons is where we just take some dedicated time to hone in on some of these aspects of our faith. And the church in its in its knowledge and its wisdom has set these seasons up because we we need all of those times to focus in on certain specific things throughout the year. So like what is ordinary time, right? I've always just kind of been like, well, ordinary time's boring. That's kind of where I've always I've always looked at it. Nothing special is going on. It's just like quote unquote like normal, normal songs, normal readings, just like every day, day in and day out kind of stuff. But uh, Father Jared started saying that a priest, uh, I guess it's okay for me to steal Father Jared's content because he steals other people's content for his homilies. He's talking about how a priest once told him that ordinary time, like the color that the priests wear, the color of the, of, uh, you know, like the decorations in the church, whatever is green. And, that, and then a priest once told him that ordinary time is green and green is the color of growth. So ordinary time is our time to grow, right? Like the seeds have been planted, whether in Easter in the Easter season or at the Christmas season. And now we are supposed to continue uh, receiving the word from the Lord, receiving the sacraments, so we can continue to grow in our faith throughout ordinary time. I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, that's new. That's kind of a new thought for me. So I was like, okay, what is this ordinary time going to look like for me? And, you know, that was, whatever, two weeks ago. Yesterday, I was reading my plan, my uh, Bible reading plan, in my Bible app. I've talked about this Bible app before. I'm going to go on a little tangent about the app itself here for a second before we continue talking about ordinary time. You've got to get this app if you have a smartphone. It's now just called Bible. Like, that's what the app is called. It's gotten that popular. Tens of millions of downloads amazing Bible. It does have the um, Catholic versions of the Bible. It has the NABRE, has the RSV, and even has Dewey Reams, if you like Old English for some reason. <laughs> it also has these uh, like devotionals that you can go through. So you can search. There's just thousands and thousands of devotionals. You can search whatever you want. Like if you're struggling with fear, you type in the word fear, and then dozens of Bible studies on overcoming fear come up. If you're struggling with uh, depression, there's, there's, there's ones for that as well. So, um, as many of you know, I'm not, uh, I struggle praying the rosary. Like the rosary is just not the way that I have connected with God. Uh, mostly like the, bi- the biggest way that I connect with God is through reading the scriptures. But I ha- you know, I know how God talks to me the most, but I also want to like continue to grow, right? We talked about that not only in ordinary time, but like all the time we're wanting to grow in our faith and expand our boundaries. So I was like, okay, I know that I l- experience God through the scriptures, through studying the scriptures. But I also still want to be open to the rosary having a bigger part in my life. So like my worlds collided when I was searching for Bible plans, and I don't even know how I got to it, but I I found this plan that was made by Catholics that is uh, Bible studies over the mysteries of the rosary. I said, oh, wow, like this is perfect, right? Like I, I can pray through the mysteries of the rosary, through these guided meditations, and and still be, you know, experiencing scripture. So I did that, and there's they have they have a you know a five-day reading plan for all the mysteries. I, I've done the mysteries of light. I'm now in the midst of the mysteries of joy. And they got a cool new feature on this app that I'd love to get connected with with you guys on. 
or if you do these plans, you can do them with a friend or multiple friends. So you can like, if you get the app or if you had the app, you can add me, just Taylor Schroll, just search me in, in friends. Or if you have me on Facebook or whatever, you can find me that way. And you can see each other's activity, like what are each other reading. But also you can do these plans together. You can, you can dedicate, you know, these are the five days we're going to do this. Each of you reads the devotional and then you read the scripture passage. And then you have a chance to like talk about it, to comment about it. I would love to do it with some of you guys just because it'd just be fun to connect. But also doing these things with other people keeps you accountable to doing it, right? I'm doing one plan with my best friend. I'm doing another plan with a guy who's been a mentor of mine for years. And we're, we're going through these things and I've been more dedicated to it in the last two weeks since I've been doing this. So if you want to join me, uh, add me on the Bible app and I'd love to do uh, one of these plans with you. Just invite me and we will uh, we'll go from there. So back to back to ordinary time. I'm doing the mysteries of joy this week, and the uh, third joyful mystery is the nativity. So I'm here. I am. This is yesterday, praying in ordinary time, and what <laughs> what pops up in my in my devotional? Christmas again. <laughs> like really, like, and it's one of those things that I've experienced Christmas this year. I prayed through Christmas. I had a great Christmas, but it, you know, just like things come in seasons, I'm just like. God, like, what else do you have for me in Christmas? Like, can I move on to something else? But I was, I was thoroughly surprised by what happened. This version is from Luke's gospel. Luke chapter two talks about the shepherds. You've heard the story. You probably heard it within the last month. How the shepherds, they go and they visit Jesus. They visit Mary and Joseph. But what I never thought about is that they encountered Jesus. And what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, that they went away praising God. And that's the last we hear of the shepherds. And I never thought, like, what does their life look like? After they just encountered, they just met God. They just encountered this baby in a stable. They were promised that he was going to be there by these angels. Like, just crazy experience, right? They go there. He's there. They meet him. They praise God for it. And then what's next? You know, they go back to their normal lives. Uh, we, we can assume safely that they return to watching over their sheep. But in their heart, something's changed. And I'm reading these words from, from this devotional. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is ordinary time. The shepherds get ordinary time. They had an experience with the king of the world coming into their lives as a baby. You and I have had, probably, we've I would assume that many of you listening have had an experience of God in your life, of Jesus having an encounter where you go on a retreat, you have this retreat high, you go away praising God just like the shepherds did, and then you walk away and like, the question is, what's next? Because sadly, so often, they just return to the normal lives and nothing has changed, right? But when you encounter Christ, your heart changes. Like there is a change that happens. And, and, like, and it's, up to, it's up to us to keep that going, right? It's up to us to continue leaning into God to allow him to continue working on our hearts. So this, uh, the person who writes this devotional asks a couple of great questions. How would they treat their wives differently after encountering God, after encountering the Christ child? 
How would they treat their children differently? What about their family and their friends? Everything becomes more bearable when we know that God is in action, when we know that somehow it will all be all right. Being a shepherd wasn't a fun job back in the day. But God came and announced to them in the midst of their daily life that Jesus was waiting for them. They went and met him. They praised God. Then what? How does their life change? And like we can all imagine, but you and I will never know. But what we do know and what we can control is how after we encounter Jesus, I'm hoping you had a great encounter with God at Christmas time, or maybe it was your Advent. How are we different after encounters with God? When you walk away praising God after a mass or after confession or after a retreat or after hearing a great radio segment from me, hey, (laughs) how does your life change? When you hear something that challenges you, how are you going to bring the Christ child that you met, that encounter, into your ordinary time, into your work, into your washing of dishes? into your relationships? like, And that's a huge question for me as we continue into this, into this uh, season of ordinary time. So in the last couple of minutes, uh, I want to have a little bit of fun. Uh, so at the end of the first segment, I kind of I ran out of time. I want to take a little bit deeper look at Jonah chapter four. If you missed the first segment, I apologize. You can always find it on uh, ForteCatholic.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Jonah chapter, we're, we're, th- we're talking about introing this new segment that we're going to start doing called This Is Not Going to Go the Way You Think. I, I want to read to you Jonah chapter four because like I talked about it, but I didn't completely do it justice. So you know the story. You know that Jonah was called by God to go make a change, to go uh, minister to the people of Nineveh, to be a prophet, to proclaim what God had for them so that they could turn from their ways and literally save their lives, right? You've you've heard that story. Uh, Jonah walks away, gets swallowed by a fish, gets spit back out, and God's like, no, really, you're going to go do this. And he's like, well, fine. So he he goes and does it. And you would think that the story would end with Jonah being like, oh, that was awesome. God totally did what he said he was going to do. I'm a fantastic prophet. People are going to be talking about it for thousands of years. And I didn't die inside that fish. Like you think that he would be very happy, but I'm I'm going to read I'm going to read to you this chapter. It's phenomenal. Most of the time, when you read a chapter of scripture on on radio, it's it's kind of boring. But th- I promise you, you're going to enjoy this. Jonah chapter four. This greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "Oh Lord, is it not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I first fled." I knew you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, repenting of punishment. So now, Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) This guy is just complaining like crazy. He's like, God, I knew you were good, but I really wish you would have annihilated Nineveh because I don't like those guys. (laughs) It It continues in chapter five. Jonah then left the city for a place to the east of it where he built himself a hut and waited under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Like he's still like he was sitting up on this hill waiting for God to just annihilate this city. He wanted to see it. 
Then the Lord God provided a gourd plant. And when it grew up over Jonah's head, giving shade that relieved him of any discomfort, Jonah was greatly delighted with the plant. But the next morning at dawn, God provided a worm that attacked the plant. Like, God's using worms in his plan for salvation. It's beautiful. Uh, so, the, so the plant withered. And when the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun beat upon Jonah's head till he became faint. Then he wished for death, again saying, it is better for me to die than to live. I just want to die. This is the worst. <laughs> but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry over the gourd plant? Jonah answered, I have a right to be angry, angry enough to die. You're starting to catch on to the pattern here. Then the Lord said, you are concerned over the gourd plant, which cost you no effort and which you did not grow. It came up in one night and in one night it perished. And should I not be concerned over the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot know the right hand from their left, not to mention all the animals? I just love how God just ends the story with a question. And just like, Jonah, I'm not going to take it from you anymore. You're literally done being in the Bible. <laughs> I just love the scriptures so much. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on ForteCatholic.com. You can find all my social media there. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And I do want to see you on the Bible app. Hit me up. We will be back next week for another great episode. See ya! Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's show. As always, I'd love to get connected with you on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, you know, all the cool stuff now. If you want to find those links, head on over to ForteCatholic.com. That's F-O-R-T-E Catholic.com. See you next week.